Welcome to Delegate. I'm Cameron O'Donnell, a DAO governance strategist. And I'm Lawrence Smith, a DeFi and DAO token builder. Powered by Boardroom. For this week's news recap, we're getting our information from the boardroom.io newsletter. Every week, they put out some of the top information, the latest and greatest around governance proposals. Make sure that you are signed up and tuning in. And also, we are proudly sponsored by Boardroom. You can catch their newsletter and how to sign up in the show notes. First time in the big city, New York City. Give us your, give us your summary. What are your thoughts over there? Yeah, I love it. I think it's a great city. It's my favorite city I've been to in the U.S. so far. So yeah, definitely impressed my first time in NYC. But yeah, I love how much life is in the city. It's been great. Man, I'll tell you the the one the one really cool thing about New York, there are always new things that you can do and new people to meet and new people to see, groups you can go talk with. The crypto scene is fairly lively up there. So, you know, we'll actually talk about some things going on in New York City over the next month later on in this episode. Well, let's let's kick us off. I've got a few things I want to cover today. My my three articles or top three proposals to go through are the foundation and DAO governance at Arbitrum and the AIP 1.2. Friends with Benefits system upgrade, establishing a software company for the Friends with Benefits DAO. And lastly, the Genesis parameters for Aave V3's Go GHO stablecoin that has been in the works for a while. So I think kick us off, maybe let's start off with a quick view into the Aave Go stablecoin and what this proposal is all about. Cool. So the snapshot vote is around the Genesis parameters for Aave's Go. And so for those that need a reminder, I think we covered this in a previous podcast, but the Go stablecoin is a native stablecoin on Aave. It's going to be fully decentralized, collateralized, pegged one-to-one with the US dollar, and it has some algorithmic elements to it as well, whereby facilitators, which are basically approved companies such as Compound, Coinbase, and so on, are able to mint a certain amount up to their bucket limit of the GHO, depending on the collateral that's been supplied. There will be a few different assets that will initially be accepted as collateral, although the DAO can vote for additional collateral, additional tokens to be accepted as collateral. So the way it works is very similar to the traditional borrowing process for Aave. So an end user will deposit some collateral into Aave. The protocol will then mint a corresponding amount of Go and send it to the borrower. And the collateral will remain locked on Aave and accrue interest until the borrower repays their position. And here's where it gets really cool is the principal amount of GHO is, is burnt, whereas the interest that's accrued on their GHO is then returned to the DAO treasury. So it actually benefits the Aave DAO treasury. And so as I mentioned, like you've got these facilitators or approved parties, and they'll be in control of the minting and burn function within Go. And I think another thing to, to mention on, on Go, which is really cool and really novel in the stablecoin space, is the fact that you can get a discount on any borrowing by staking your staked Aave. Um, and so basically, it's encouraging staking of Aave, so it contributes to the safety module to begin with. And then you stake your staked Aave, and it will reduce the cost of minting so the actual proposal itself, what's the, can you give us a, a light background on that proposal? What were some of the things that were discussed regarding that initial parameters? 
Yeah, definitely. So this is, it's very much just putting in the building blocks, all the foundations for this Go stablecoin to come out. And so it basically sets four main parameters. And what's also good about the pros or what I like anyway, as it's not just here are four parameters, give us a yes or give us a no. They've given a couple of different options as well. And so I'll, I'll run through those options quickly. So firstly is option A, and that basically would feature a borrow rate of 1.5%. So you're going to have 1.5% interest on anything that you borrow in Go. Option B is a borrow rate of 2%, bucket capacity of 50 million, down from 100 million in option A, and a state of a discount rate of 25%, down from 30% in option A. And so option A has actually come out on top here, which I think is good. I think starting with a low borrow rate to begin with is beneficial. And I also think being able to have higher bucket capacity enables smoother operations mm-hmm. with these facilitators being able to, to really get involved rather than being limited by capacity from the offset. And also the discount rate is really good. So it should incentivize more people to start staking that Aave for the safety module and also in turn start getting that better discount rate for any stable coins that they want to mint. Really, really interesting. And yeah, we'll link to the forum discussion in the show notes. We had we had a pretty lively discussion throughout March around these topics. Gotlet entered the ring. Chaos Labs entered the ring. Uh, Ave companies, they were very involved as well. So a lot of really thoughtful design, risk analysis in the background uh, going around. How do we kick off Go efficiently and effectively? All right, jumping over to another DeFi behemoth here, MakerDAO. Some some more exciting news here. We're not going to talk about a proposal, but MakerDAO launches the Spark protocol. Spark is a lending marketplace specifically designed around DAI. When users interact with Spark, a majority of that liquidity actually comes from the MakerDAO. This, again, centered all around the end game. How do we leverage DAI in the most efficient and effective manner? Uh, the way that Maker is funding the Spark protocol is through this thing that we call the D3M, right? The, the DAI Direct Deposit Module, right? D3, DAI Direct Deposit Module, M. What this means is that through Sparklend, you can now borrow DAI. And the rates, extremely competitive, Right, The reason that they're competitive, we're going direct from the die source maker to the lending platform. This, this impacts users in a few different ways. First and foremost, it brings maker closer to their endgame goals. If you're not familiar with the endgame, we have some episodes on it. We have some information in the show notes about it. Take a pass through that. Outside of bringing them closer to the endgame goal of, of expanding the usage of DAI, this also introduces a yield-bearing version of DAI. Right. And, and this is connected directly to the die savings rate module. And so really taking a lending market, which actually is an Ave fork and agreed upon Ave fork, by the way, there is actually a rev share in motion there, connecting all of these pieces that we're all familiar with within the maker ecosystem, pushing forward their governance, pushing forward their ecosystem and pushing forward die. And so just so much going on there. We'll link some of that information in the show notes. Great to see another, as you say, DeFi behemoth upping their their game when it comes to their stablecoin as well. It'll be interesting to see how the stablecoin battles pans out. Yeah. 
Yeah, spot on. This next update, not around stable coins, not around lending markets, but around protocol fees at Uniswap. And so GFX Labs actually just yesterday put up a proposal making protocol fees operational. Now, again, this has been talked about for years now. Uh, Uniswap generates zero profit. Not that they really need it. They have about $2 billion in their treasury in their native token. However, it is a fairly liquid token. And there's a lot of flexibility there. Very unlikely that they would need uh, mass amounts of money uh, at, at any given time. Definitely enough to remain operational and competitive, which is a big one. So what this actually proposes is to turn on protocol fees equal to one-fifth of the pool fees across all Uniswap v3 pools and across v2. The scope of this specific proposal is to implement a fee for Uniswap pools, a system to claim earned fees, and to sell those fees into whatever asset is needed for the Uniswap community. And so the fees are actually collected in the trading asset, right? And this is one of the big issues. Now, a lot of different protocols have solved this issue, right? You look at one inch, uh, for example, the fees that they collect, they actually trade off into stable Ethereum or whatever designated asset instantaneously. You're not collecting these fees and then dumping that on the market. This all happens in turn when you leverage their protocol. A few really interesting things here that we found within this proposal This proposal highlights all of the different maker and taker fees across different platforms, Coinbase, Binance, Kraken. It also describes what fees would look like at a one-fifth rate if they were turned on. And so the, the past six months, we've had an extremely volatile market, right? Increasing volume as well. Now, any protocol DEX product that is volume based right, or fees-based, had a fairly good time over the last six months, right? Although the market is is definitely crazy and we've had some dramatic news, uh, that did lead to increased volume. As we saw, Uniswap had one of their highest volume days uh, just a little while ago. And so you can catch some of that information in the show notes. Uh, there's also a large gray box around tax and legal concerns. And although a lot of time and money has been spent looking into these things, the only outcome here is how do we mitigate or minimize tax and legal risk? There is no pure solution here. We actually do have some responses on the forum, looking at the benefits, looking at the upsides and the downsides. If you are a Uniswap community member, check it out. I'm sure it will get juicy over the days to come. More on Uniswap later regarding the delegate race. Interesting stuff. Uniswap never sleeps. Cool. I'm moving on to my next update is around the friends with benefits, as I mentioned earlier, and that they're effectively establishing a software company. And so they've put forward a proposal to merge into two distinct entities. At the moment, it's just one entity. So all of the activities are within that entity, which is product, membership, events, partnerships, marketing, so on. And so this would basically be a two-step process to upgrade the organization as well as legal structures. And we'll touch upon the sort of the benefits of having a legal structure within a DAO shortly. 
But I think you even alluded to it with some of the tax implications that there are, as well as just the liability implications with setting up a corporation. But anyway, they want to establish a new software C-Corp to create new use cases for the Friends of Benefit token. And they want to wrap the Friends of Benefit community DAO into a unincorporated non-profit association, a UNA, that serves the parent entity of the Friends of Benefit ecosystem, which is what we just spoke about, the, the software C-Corp that we created for Friends of the Benefits. Spot on. I think, I think I've always been fascinated with Friends with Benefits. They've really pioneered that social aspect of DAOs, right? The social DAO, right? Why you join these communities, what you actually do. And on top of that, I think they have some real, real thought leaders in the space. I know a lot of folks over there or who have previously worked over there and just always exciting conversations. Over the past year or so, I feel like they've really been looking for their niche, where they fit within the market and what they can do as an organization. This is an interesting take. Creating a C-Corp, creating an unincorporated nonprofit association, really trying to establish some levels of protection and flexibility. So what's the motive here? They feel that establishing a software C-Corp is a great next step for being able to properly resource a lot of these Friends with Benefits software initiatives as well as reduce some of the DAO's current burn rate and allowing the DAO to focus more on decentralization and really decentralizing the operational structure and community that are associated with that. And so I think in my mind, it's really delineating the difference between having a formal company structure, which they can use for the operational efficiencies and growing the Friends of Benefits DAO versus having this UNA in place, this unincorporated nonprofit association to home the sort of the community and the, the extremely decentralized DAO aspects of Friends of Benefits. I think also the other benefits that they've highlighted here is, is trying to reduce this Friends of Benefits treasury burn rate. It's currently burning at 41% per month. And so that should hopefully increase the DAO's overall runway. And they also want to remove any of the risk and volatility associated with the product development, whilst the DAO focuses on the decentralization, as we mentioned. We did also have over 1,000 token votes for no. So this was definitely not unanimous. There are heated discussions within the community around these topics. However, I think at the end of the day, right, logic prevails. Testing out these new structures, these new entities. Again, some of the brightest minds in the space working over there. Excited to see the next chapter for Friends of Benefits. Yeah. And I think get, being able to get fundraising and be more operationally independent is a really crucial thing. So I think it's, it's just important to highlight that DAOs aren't necessarily the most efficient structures. Let's not say we shouldn't use them, but there are benefits in other areas we should really leverage to try and combine the novel mechanisms inherent within DAOs, as well as the benefits of speed and execution that you can get from the, the more developed sort of legal structures outside of DAOs. And obviously there are a bunch of DAO legal structures coming out, but sometimes those aren't necessarily the best. And also they're still so nascent that it's, it's really hard to determine whether things like the Wyoming DAO corporation setup and so on are any better than what we've currently got for your particular business needs. I think this is going to be a big trend coming up in the future with more companies using different corporation structures in combination with the DAO structure. So. Super excited to see how it pans out and what direction Friends of Benefits take at the back of this. 
plugging our first and second episode. Our first episode here on the Delegate Podcast was actually a tax episode. And our second episode centered around regulation. And so take a look in the show notes. We'll have those linked. Get a quick hit. Obviously, a lot has changed since then, but still, it's a great overview. Yes. So I want to jump over to our friends at Aragon. Aragon is an absolute leader in the space, and they repurpose their DAO to ensure treasury service. Blah, blah, blah. They repurpose it. They, they just repurposed their DAO to ensure treasury serves its mission and builders advancing that mission. Basically, what happened was the Aragon Association acted on its fiduciary duty to secure the treasury. They repurposed the DAO into a grants program. This happened on May 9th at 4 p.m. where the bombshell was dropped that the reason they are repurposing this organization is due to a coordinated attack by a group known as the Risk-Free Value Raiders. The Risk-Free Value Raiders are known to attack DAOs and have successfully done so over the past few months. So Aragon diligently monitoring its token activity, its DAO activity, realized that someone or some entity was accumulating their token, right? Their token that has voting rights. The goal here was a 51% attack, right? So a governance-based attack. What Aragon did, again, they acted turning this into a grants program. The grants program The grants DAO focused on DAO builders launching DAOs, DAPs, and plugins on the Aragon stack. Now, look, this is Aragon's side, right? There are there is a little bit of backlash within the broader ecosystem. So on Twitter as well, right? We had Monet Supply come out and say, "Beyond disappointed in you. There's no other way to look at your move other than misappropriation. Urge you to reflect on this and change course." If you aren't even willing to operate as a true DAO, what does that say about the products and the mission? And that's just one of many comments. This is definitely a balancing act, right? This is not a sure thing, definitely a balancing act, and we'll be sure to follow up on this reporting in the future. So last one on my radar, and I think this is a bit of an update on one of the proposals that we covered a few weeks ago, and this is around Arbitrum, the Arbitrum DAO and Foundation. And we basically covered a little recap, AIP1. And AIP1 was Arbitrum DAO's first crack at governance, laying down their constitution. So it got a lot of backlash. It actually failed as a proposal. Why was that? It was because of, in my opinion anyway, that there are a few different things that, that stood out. But I think the main one was the 750 million ARB tokens that were transferred to the Arbitrum Foundation. And it was outlined in the proposal that that was happening. People could vote on it, but it was happening regardless. And it was effectively to fund the administrative budget wallet. It's called for special grants, service provider payments, for the operational costs of the Arbitrum Foundation, as well as any future sort of admin and operational costs associated with the foundation and, and the DAO generally as well. And so I think it's really important to highlight that giving a portion of their token supply to a foundation 
it's super commonplace. Arbitrum didn't even do a ridiculous amount. They did lower than the majority of, of their competitors on the actual allocation towards the foundation. I think it was more the fact that they posed it as, oh, here, here's the option we're giving you. And obviously they're not like an average token holder. It's not going to want to dilute their supply by 750 million tokens. And so it got a huge amount of backlash. They should have just not included that in the constitution, in my opinion. They should have outlaid the token allocations to begin with and had a selection of the tokens going towards the foundation. This AIP 1.2 is their second take on it. Some changes in this. I don't think it's actually a huge overhaul, but it's becoming, it's getting much better reception than the, the first AIP got. So first AIP, as I said, failed. This one's actually passed with 99.15% four votes. So flying colors here. And the, uh, the top three or the one that stood out for me anyway, changes being put forward to the original constitution with AIP 1.2 are firstly, it lowers the threshold the number of votable tokens required for an AIP to be posted on chain. And so that goes from 5 million ARP down to 1 million ARP, which is obviously much more accessible, makes it much easier for people to get involved in the governance process and actually start putting forward votes. Still sizable amount, and it's not going to be a small token holder putting forward proposals. So it's it's still power in that, the hands of the few to an extent, and largely probably in the hands of the foundation, to be honest, given that you need a million tokens to post on-chain and AIP. So exciting stuff. I'm really excited to see the Arbitrum DAO get on its feet and see how it starts taking form. We're hoping to get a couple of guests on from Arbitrum in the coming weeks. So make sure you stay tuned and we'll give you the latest in DAO governance. Awesome. And then, hey, you know what? To close this off here, just a quick highlight, delegation in the spotlight. Uh, We covered Butter a protocol incentivizing governance activity for delegates trying to align and reassure incentives. Our friends over at Tally are are having a delegation week for everyone. This is May 22nd to May 26th. You can check out delegationweek.com. Participants include Arbitrum, Optimism, Uni, ENS, Gitcoin, Hop, Stable Labs, Boardroom, and the list goes on. This is a five-day event dedicated to exploring the power and potential of voter delegation in the DAO ecosystem. Why I really like things and events like this is, again, it goes back to lowering the cost or the overhead of governance, right? Bringing together all of these thought leaders, all of these delegates, these protocols, and trying to establish not only some industry norms, but to educate each other on what's happening, what's going on, even their delegate platforms that they maintain within these ecosystems. Super exciting stuff. The other quick note, Uniswap actually launched their delegate race. And so our friends over at the Uniswap Foundation, they just released their platform on Agora. Agora is the personalized governance platform used at Optimism and now at Uniswap. It has functionality to allow delegates to establish a platform, letting users go and explore delegate platforms to learn what they're about and how they operate. The delegate race is off to a crazy start. As a Uniswap delegate myself in a professional capacity, I am super excited to see the outcome of this delegate race. We've had numerous high-value Groups and individuals already enter the space. 
and the protocol with up to 8 million Uniswap up for grabs. We will continue to follow up on this delegate race and try to report on the latest and greatest. As you mentioned earlier, we've been hard at work. We have episodes coming up on Arbitrum, Optimism, Uniswap. Also, working on episodes around professional delegation, what that means and what that looks like. And so stay tuned over the next few weeks. It'll certainly be exciting. Never a dull moment in the DAO space. I think that closes us off for this episode. Lawrence, enjoy New York. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Cam. Yeah, I will do. And have a great week. Keeping up with the latest and greatest on these platforms with all their governance activity, super important. You can catch these episodes every two weeks where we'll highlight some of the main things that have occurred. Thank you to Boardroom for sponsoring this episode.